This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers. And this is the Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend, Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And today we're going to open the show with a story about live animals rather than something terrible happening to Taylor or Taylor's house or Taylor's hand or involving the cat or anything like that. This is cute little feathered animals. Cute and fluffy. Smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. Um, I clearly didn't have enough animals, so I bought some more. (laughs) Um, So, long time ago... We had Francis, right? Who was the sole <laughs> Just surviving poor, goose. lonely Francis. <laughs> yeah, she had started out with three siblings, but the other three, something tragic happened to them. It was just her. And finally, I was like, okay, I have to get her. She got broody and I had to get her some babies. So I got her some babies. And there was this big, hilarious, uproariously uh, adventurous tale of trying to give her those babies, which went horribly wrong. And then, and then those babies grew up. I mean... Sort of. I mean, they're not fully adults yet, but they're they're geese. You, they look like geese now. They don't look like babies. And Francis decided to go broody again. And I'm just like, ah. So she's like, <laughs> she, she's like, those were fake babies. <laughs> they were not real babies. And I tried, and it just didn't work out. So I'm gonna go sit and try and hatch my own babies. So she stole bantam eggs from. Like, there's this little bantam who kind of laid this... Wait, she stole them? Well, so there's this little bantam hen. Bantam bantam eggs are so small. They're like mini chickens. So they're like a third of the size of a real chicken egg. And this bantam had, I guess, just sort of started laying eggs on the ground, sort of up against, uh, like, where one of the faucets is. It was real close to where Francis's nest had been. And so Francis saw those and went, oh, I think I'll take those. Thank you very much. (laughs) And so she scooted a couple bantam eggs underneath her and just made this nest just red, just there in the outdoors, not inside or anything. And she's been sitting on that nest. So I had there's this specific type of goose that I've been wanting to get for a long, long time. They're just so pretty and they're really hard to find. And um you know, by the time I thought, well, maybe I'll get some this year, the hatcheries were all sold out. And then I thought, you know what? I know there's somebody in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I remember, she's like, she does these these breeds. So it took me a while, but I found her contact information. And I had contacted her years and years ago um, about it. And I was like, hey, remember me? Um, <laughs> and so she's like, yeah, I have them available. And I mean, they're they're pricey but she's probably got one of the best breeding flocks in the country and um i was like okay i'm gonna do this this is the year that i'm gonna do this and hey francis is on the nest again so what better time it just kind of all works out together you know just ideally and so the the babies were finally ready and i went and got them and i brought them home (laughs) gave them to francis and she looked at me and went no not this crap again (laughs) 
<laughs> she's like, don't want nothing to do with that. She's like, you tricked me once. It's not <laughs> happening again. So I'm the goose mom now for these little bundles of fluff. And, uh, but just fine because it's warm now. So I don't have to try keeping them in the house. I can just put them in a pen outside and they'll be fine. And this time I'm like putting them where the other geese can see them and they can see the other geese and there shouldn't be any issue in, you know, integrating them or whatever. So um, Francis is just goes back and forth between trying to call the babies to her and wanting to be with them and then hissing at them and wanting them to go away. Oh. So it's just like, no, I'm not trusting you with these. No, no, no these are mine. You can have the cheap ones. <laughs> so, that's fine. But you know, hopefully I can keep them alive and, and they're just they're Hopefully they grow up to be as beautiful as the ones that, that this other person had. So anyway, that's so my how many, story. How many do you have now? If we count the babies, I have 10. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the, the other five, well, I mean, I guess we can't really count Francis cause she mostly just sits on her nest right now, but the other four just, they, they go away during the day. They'll just go out and graze and then they'll just sort of come back at night and, or they'll come back to the backyard a few times a day to sit in the pool and then they'll go out again. So they just do what they do. Like I'm not really messing with them or anything. I'm not feeding them. They, they're totally self-sufficient at this point, but I like it that they come back because it keeps them protected. That, that I think that's how the other ones got, you know, Francis's siblings got uh, disappeared was they were just sitting out down in the field at night and some, even with the dogs, that wasn't enough to protect them and something snuck up and got them in the night. They just disappeared. So at least when they're up by the house, I don't worry so much about them, um, like something bad happening to them. And then they just do what they do. So even though I have four, it's like, you know, it's not like I got this huge flock of geese that I got to take care of. They just take care of themselves. So with Francis and the babies, do they like, do they recognize each other? And does, so you said Francis sees them and, and feels like he, he, she needs to go over and mother them until she gets over there. And then she realizes she doesn't want anything to do with them. Yeah. She's, she's kind of hangs around in that area. Cause that, uh, when, when, uh, when I brought the babies in and I saw that she was like, going, no, I'm, I'm not doing this again. You know, you tricked me once. I was like, fine. I don't trust you with them because she hissed at them and she like tried to bite one of them, which she started doing with the others too. Once they got a little bit bigger to establish her, her place, which is fine because they were bigger at that point, but these are really young. They're like a week old. So I could, I don't want her to kill them, you know, try seeing them as a threat to her bantam mm-hmm. eggs or whatever so i moved her nest outside where where she couldn't get, have access to them i mean not outside the house just outside that little area where she had been sitting i, I moved it away so that the babies could have that area so she still sort of hangs in that area and she'll like chatter to them and talk to them but they don't come to her because they haven't been established as like that's their mom now so she gets irritated she calls them they don't come to her and then she's just like goes off and sits on her nest (laughs) so yeah one of these days she's gonna hatch her own eggs and then maybe she'll you know adjust to being a proper goose now that's interesting and i wonder if this could apply to writing somehow where you you think in terms of a of of a character maybe a motherly character uh but the character voice that she has does not resonate with the reader so the reader is not really seeing that character as a mother (laughs) I'm laughing. I'm laughing. 
I'm laughing so hard. I'm laughing silently, but I'm laughing. Oh my God, you're so good at this, Steve. It's so good. <laughs> I don't know how you do that. That's good. Now you have to explain because I'm still laughing and I'm so <laughs> So our, our topic today, and I had no idea whether I was going to actually be able to pull that off or Taylor was going to look at me through the digital uh, waves and, and say like, what in heaven's name are you doing? We're talking about character voice today. Taylor was Taylor was reading a book and was taken very quickly out of the story because the character voice wasn't right for her. Yes, yes. Okay, so here's how this topic came about. And I, I don't think we've ever discussed this in all the six years now or something of doing this podcast. I don't think we've ever discussed this in this way, but I was reading a book. Um, and as I've mentioned before, lately, the types of books, if I'm going to read fiction, I'm looking for light and fluffy, just like little baby geese, like just sort of brain candy. It doesn't have to be uh, like just articulately written. It just has to be okay writing and, um, you know, an engaging storyline. I'm not looking for depth. I'm looking for brain candy. If depth is inside the brain candy, great. And all of that is important because I don't want it to come across like I have these super high standards for the content. I don't. The quality of writing matters to me and an engaging story, but the actual content of how that's how the story is told, I'm flexible. I've been reading YA stories, um, uh, romances, whatever, just brain candy because that's all I can handle at this moment. So there's this book that um, came with really great reviews, and it's from a writer who seems to have quite a number of books under their belt. And I, I didn't have a chance. Normally, I always try and and see read the first few pages just to get a sense of if I am gonna be okay with the writing quality, the writing style. And I just didn't have a chance to do it with this one. And it had great reviews and all the complaints that I read about it were there were, were about swear words in the books. And I don't, uh, clearly I do not have a problem <laughs> with swear words. And so if that's the worst that people were saying about it, I was like, great, I'm in, this is going to be great. So I, so I got it. And, um, a couple weeks later I sat down, you know, to read it. And the way that this story opens is, it's the story is written in first person uh, point of view. So when the characters speak, it's like, I did this, I did that. And it's kind of, you know, here's my way of thinking and whatever. Um, and it opens with a male character who's basically saying, well, you know, the story isn't really about me, but it is about me. And it goes on. And it's written very casually like um like as if you sat down and were just chatting with your best friend and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that except that this character's voice to me felt like it was it's supposed to be a male character in his i didn't say late 20s early 30s some business person like he's a he's someone who's established in his life he's not a a teenage boy who's sitting around on his parents couch playing video games and yet the style the words coming out of his quote unquote his mouth and 
the way those words were relayed, it felt like they were being spoken by a 16-year-old girl. It is really hard to get into a character's head who's supposed to be male, (laughs) who's supposed to be someone who's been a killer in the boardroom or whatever, when he's talking to you with all the bubblegum chewing, lip smacking attitude of a 16-year-old teenager girl. But I managed to get through that section. And then when his was done, came the next character. And that character was a young woman. And... Her voice was identical to the voice of the whatever age man. Same voice, same word usage, same syntax, same everything. The only thing that was different between the two is here's my life. I'm a this and here's my life. This is what I do. So the, the physical environments the life scenarios were different and were keyed in directly to who those characters were. But the voices, the words being used, the, the casual banter, everything, identical. One character could have been the other character, copy-paste, and I got two pages in to the next character and shut the book and I was done. Couldn't do it. Couldn't. Because... And it wasn't even that the writing was bad. There was there was nothing wrong per se with the setup or anything. It was the characters' voices were so not them. Like it, it, they were not distinct. There was there was nothing. It, it was like the author. The author was both characters. It's the only way that I can say that. Now I'm not trash talking this author. She's. I'm assuming, yes, she, she's got bazillions of reviews on this book. I mean, like more reviews than I could even, if you combined all of my books together, who am I to say, Hey, you know, you did this wrong. I'm not saying that, but for all of you who are listening, who maybe want to take it a step further and say, don't do that. (laughs) Don't, um, character voice matters tremendously in creating characters that feel real. And it doesn't just, in, in a case like this where you're, the characters are first person, um, where it's I, 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 uh, it's even more extreme because in a situation like that, that character's voice is the character. That, the, the, that's the foundation of the character. And when you've got the same voice being used for every single character in the book, it just, they, they, they all blend together. What makes one different from the other that you're telling me that this character is a killer in the boardroom and this character is a, a great designer over here for this other thing. It's, you're telling me that character voice is a part of showing. And, and that's really easy to forget because we're, we're given these instructions of, you know, show, don't tell, show, don't tell. Well, what is showing? Showing can mean so many different things. And character voice is showing because how we speak, how we articulate, how we gesticulate, 
how we um, interact with the world around us, our, our reactions to the world, the words we use to react to the world around us and the things that are happening, that's all part of character. It's all part of what makes us individually who we are. And it's no different for the characters on the pages. And this is something that I personally have had to be very mindful of in books like the Liars books, where we have um, Jack, Jill, Holden, Claire, any other characters who have a point of view in those books who are, um, they're all, they're very similar uh, characters in their skills, in their, uh, the way they face the world in terms of staying hidden off radar, in the techniques that they use to track down other people or keep people from tracking them, in the way that they uh, com- fight I mean, there's they're individual people, but those types of, of um, scenarios or the, the, the type of world that they live in is very similar. And so to be able to differentiate one from the other is is involves far more than just saying, you know, oh, this is how so and so feels about it. And this is how so and so feels about it. it. It requires a conscious effort to make sure that the words coming out of Jill's mouth, the words she uses to describe her brother and her mother and the the situation going around them are completely different in word choices, in word syntax, in uh, the level of familiarity or formality than her brother Jack, because they are completely different people. And then I've got to take that a step further and make sure that Jack and Holden, who are basically uh, mirrors of each other in terms of skill, they're both men, they're both very capable men, that they also have distinct voices. If you took out all the he said, she says off the page and you took out all the names and you read a section of your book from your character, could you tell from the words on the page which character's head you are in? If you can't, or if you can't even get close, or if somebody who doesn't know your characters can't even get close, there's a really good chance that you're not paying attention to your character's individual voices. And by not paying attention to their voices, You are depriving your story and your readers of a layer of depth that will totally, um, it's, it's a, it's a power, it's a power thing of, that makes the story feel so much more than it is. It's the sum, the whole being more than the sum of its parts. And you're basically taking this key part and tossing it away and going, yeah, I don't need that because you're not paying attention to it or for whatever reason. And if you, you, you're depriving yourself of that opportunity. It's like it already exists. It's already right there. It doesn't require that much work more than what you're already doing. Why not utilize it for what it is? So this book that I was reading, it could have been awesome. It could have been fantastic, and I'll never know, because I couldn't get past the fact that we had an adult male 
rattling off like he was a, a young woman. And I don't think this is just my opinion because before we started recording, Steve, all, I, I showed it to Steve and let him read a bit of it. And um, Steve's reaction was to just start laughing. So I don't know, Steve, do you want to chime in a little bit on your thoughts on this? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in quickly here. So uh, Taylor and I were talking about it a little bit. And when she had described it to me, she was like, well, there was there was this guy and there was this woman and the voices sounded really young. And in, in my mind, I'm just trying to think, oh, I, I want to find out what this book is and, and, you know, take a look at the author and get a sense of it. So she told me the title and I looked it up. And I just started reading, and I, I got through like the first page and a half, maybe two pages, and I had to go back and read it again once I got to a certain line that I won't read because it'll it, it will um, it'll, it'll blow the rating for this show if you know what I mean. <laughs> but it, it was I'm reading along, and in my mind, I'm reading the words of a 16 year old girl. Or, you know, a very young woman. Young woman, woman yeah. Very young. And in my mind, you know, like 16 years old. That's that's kind of where I placed it. And you know how when you start reading, you you try and place the character somewhere and, and try and figure out who this character is. And none of that was was actually described, although it, it, it sort of was it, it sort of was, but I missed it because the language was made it so clear who this character was. And I got down to this line and I'm like Oh, I'm completely misreading this. And I went up again. It's like, oh my gosh, this is this is a man. It's not only a man, it is a complete an accomplished professional man. And I'm like, okay, all right, well, this is weird. And then I I you've you've heard what Taylor said. So I read through, got to the next chapter, and that was the next character, who was a woman. And as Taylor said, it, it's basically exactly the same character voice, and it felt a little bit better reading, knowing that it was a woman. But when I got down to that scene where it, it really was laugh out, I, Taylor was like, why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? And I couldn't <laughs> stop laughing because of what I had in my mind and what this character said. And yeah, it was, it was off. And if, if you have read, this is a, this is a, a style of, of book, contemporary romance type books. And there, there are a lot of them that are written where you just keep flashing through characters. So chapter one is character A, chapter two is character B, chapter three is character C, and then it just goes back and forth. And they're all written in first person. And that's a style for these, for these books. But yeah, they, all, they were all the same in, in my mind in, in just reading through the sample of the book. And I did download it so that I can read more but uh, it, it, what, yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't expect to feel exactly the same way that Taylor did. But when I hit that line and just started laughing, it's like, oh my, this is, this is, she was right. <laughs> so it's not just me. All right. So here's where I, I get similar. Um, the same concept shows up elsewhere is, you know, I've talked before about how I will have, men readers, male readers contact me and say, I typically don't read female authors, but I make an exception for you. And I'm like, well, great. Thanks. I'll take the compliments wherever I can get them. But when I start digging deeper into the reasons why men tend to not want to read books written by women, 
a lot of it has to do with this type of thing where the the male characters are written as if they are women in male bodies and nobody likes to be misrepresented and we have quite a lot of misrepresentation obviously going on in the world at large, but you don't have to contribute to that. Um, do your due diligence. You know, if, if different characters speak differently, they think differently and it's not, it, it, it goes, we have talked about this before on the show is that um, just from a general perspective, you know, not there's no hard and fast rules. There's always going to be somebody that doesn't apply to. But just generally speaking, men and women process information differently. Women tend to process more from basis of emotion. Men tend to process more from basis of logic. Um, women do not have a problem dealing with emotion, saying, you know, uh, discussing emotion. I felt this and we pour our guts out to our friends, whereas men for the most part, will remain very stoic and hold it all inside and and just don't talk about things to the same extent that women do. Um, so if you have a man, a man who's just gushing on and on about his feelings, well, the average male, not all males, the average male will read that and go, this is bullcrap. This is not how I as a man would react. Therefore, this character is false. And even, and, and they don't want to read more because it's just like, that's that's not real. And women, too. I mean, there's so much uh, there. There's like memes and, and whole Internet threads that you can find about the way men write women, male authors write women, especially as it pertains to female bodies. And, and you have these, you know, jokes where women will go and write male bodies as if they were a male writing about a body. And it's hilarious because it takes all the exaggerated extremes of this and, and, and pushes it in front of your face. And it, it's, it's just so funny, but you don't want to be the, the, butt, the butt of that, that joke, the butt of that joke. Um, so if you are a female author and you are writing male characters, it, you're going to have to fight your natural tendency to write that character as if you're in that character's head and take a step back and, and analyze the men in your life and how do they relate to this and just try and and avoid that. Uh, the, the opposite goes for men writers. If you're spending a lot of time uh, having a female character dissect her own body with her eyes and describe her you know, voluptuous breasts or whatever, you're way off, buddy. That's not how it works. So... You know, those are sort of on the extremes, but uh, as we as we narrow in towards the middle, you have these situations where it's just the voice. And if you've got a distinctly female, young female voice in the mouth of an accomplished professional male, it's just not going to work. It's not. Every character needs their own voice. And voice is character. And that's all I got to say on the subject. I listen to a lot of audiobooks. And I wonder how many, how many narrators, when they come across something like this, help to fix it themselves by the voices that they choose for the characters. And I, I don't know if it's entirely possible, but this 
particular book has an audio sample as well, so I'm going to listen to the oh. audio sample of the first chapter and see if I get a different sense of it, and I will report back. I am very, very curious about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am curious about it as well. I, I've been listening to uh, an audio book for a series that I really enjoy, and I've read the books and love it, and the narrator who does the work is just brilliant, and she really helps to enhance the character voices and in my own mind, now, I don't know whether the voice of the characters is so good because the author made them that good, or it's the combination of the author and the narrator. I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, but in this, in this case, um, yeah, some differentiation in voice and some understanding of what it, what it would be like for a person in this professional capacity to be dealing with others in an office environment. Um, would would have been helpful. But with with all that being said, this this particular author is selling a lot of books and sold a lot of copies of this book, so uh, good on her. Yes, and like I said, who am I to say she did it wrong? Clearly there's an audience for that book. There are a lot of people who don't care about all of this. But this particular podcast is about how to kick your own writing in the butt, how to shortcut your way to cleaner, stronger writing. And it would be a huge failure on my part not to mention these types of things because they will improve your, the quality of your craft so much. And, you know, the, this author already has her audience. They clearly don't care, but I do wonder how much more of an audience she might have if, she nailed that aspect of the storytelling as well. All right. Well, good episode, Taylor. Um, Thank you all so much for listening. We will be back again next Tuesday. Thanks for being here, guys, and we will see you next week.